Hello and welcome to Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast with me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist. Coming up, we hear from two Midlands Tory MPs who have fallen out. One is a passionate supporter of the HS2 railway. We need this uh, not only for transport, we need it to have modern infrastructure, we need it to connect Britain's great cities. The other says... It is a disaster waiting to happen. The problem we have is a very disconnected railway line damaging the environment because it's going through virgin parts of countryside. And, of course, the biggest thing of all, it's so expensive. A former Labour cabinet minister explains why Labour leadership contender Lisa Nandy has what it takes to be the party's first woman leader and the party's first woman prime minister. She represents an authenticity which would be very difficult for Boris Johnson to cope with. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify or leave us a review and email us anytime at Order, order at mailplus.co.uk. This week, as Brexit rolls ever closer, the Royal Mail has been asked by Boris Johnson to produce a special set of Brexit stamps. Amanda, will you be buying some first-class Brexit stamps? Well, it depends very much what they've got on it. If they try and do this sort of some kind of namby-pamby on this side, and let's make the leavers happy as well, or the, as well as the, the remainers, I'll only be buying leavers. But there's a brilliant one I've seen already. It's got the EU flag with all those wonderful little stars and one less, and Boris in the middle sending two fingers up at it. Well, the, the, the In other... the correct way, not the incorrect way, mm. like Churchill did. Well, the other one I've seen is an EU flag with the red arrows flying across it with a vapour trail streaking all across the EU flag. But there are some proposals being put forward by Remainer supporters. And the one, the one that tickled me was, was the one with a man with a pistol shooting himself in the foot. I rather like that one. Isn't it incredible when you think about it? I don't want to come over all kind of um, sexist here, but all the suggestions I saw on, you know, that were on the internet, there wasn't a single woman. No, that's... Why couldn't it be the woman? Well, that's true. Shooting herself in, the, in a stiletto. Mm. But you see, that's sexist, because not all women wear stilettos. <laughs> As the BBC's Director-General, Lord Tony Hall, steps down, the battle over the corporation's future is more political than ever before. What needs to happen next? The balance uh, of the BBC's current services do differentially appeal to the middle-aged and the old. That is an editorial choice, and it seems to me that the, so the, the big challenge the for the BBC, BBC is reposition... Right. Uh, and Tony Hall, the Director General, was recently talking about putting more money into into uh, uh, content for, for younger audiences. I think that's existentially important. And by the way, it's not just true of the BBC, it's true of all legacy media. If we don't radically change yeah. and start thinking about the audience of the future, the risk is we age out with a given generation of people and we all are beaten by companies like Netflix. Well, that was the former Director General of the BBC, Mark Thompson. Amanda, what do you think the BBC should do, if anything, to improve its act? Well, it's too little too late. The, the young people have bolted. You know, the generation of my stepson are in their late 20s. I mean, he, does, he doesn't even have a TV licence. He streams everything. You know, he's got Netflix, which is eight quid a month. Terrestrial TV just seems like something rather old-fashioned to him. He gets most of his sport off either BT or Sky. And I just think... This, I don't think there's a way of solving this problem now. I think it is insurmountable. It's a generational thing. People of our generation 
are love the BBC and watch a lot of it. Younger people just aren't watching it. But there's a political agenda here, isn't there? Come on, let, let's let's face up to this. This is this is a new very strong conservative government which like previous strong governments has decided to, to try and cut the bbc down to size the conservative party think rightly or wrongly that the bbc is kind of a leftist dominated organization and uh, boris johnson's chief of staff dominic cummings thoughts of him have come out that he wrote for a think tank a while ago saying that describing the bbc as the mortal enemy of the conservative party so they're they're, they're shaping up for a big battle here don't, don't you think there's some reason to be concerned when governments start trying to push around um, the Beeb? Um, there's, look, as we saw at the last election, the complaints were equal from the Labour Party as they were from the Conservative Party and the Greens didn't think they got a fair shot and, and it was every time there's an election people feel that they're hard done by. I personally think there is a anti-conservative, anti-Tory bias in the BBC. Like it's, it's a kind of a cultural... It's, it's a subliminal thing. Almost everybody who works there is left-wing. You can't have an organisation that's produced by people who are left of leaning. I think one of the... Rod Little's written... Yeah, well this, is, well, this has been brewing because Rod Little, who's a former, former BBC producer... On the uh, Today programme. That's right. He, he's a Brexiteer and he's written a piece saying that he's got hundreds, I think he said, of... Um, BBC, ex-BBC colleagues on Facebook, but only one of all of them voted for Brexit. And he won't, he, that one wouldn't dare admit it for fear of the consequences. And he has said in the past that during, especially during the time when he was um, working at the Today programme, the institutional bias against issues like immigration and illegal immigration, as it used to be called then. You mean the bias against reporting those concerns? <laughs> yeah. the, yes, the, the the way that every time the, the Tories would get up and say, we need to, you know, we need to control immigration, any words like that, and they would get the most hostile reception. Mm. You know, I'm afraid that it has been true, but I'm not really comfortable about the government electing the well, the, the new GG. And also the idea being put about by some Conservatives that, 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 what, that what's needed is a British equivalent of Fox News. Uh, Fox <laughs> News, they're the ones that brought us the Iraq war and Donald Trump. I don't think we want too much of that, thank you. Yes, and I think one of their latest bosses is, um, there's just been that huge movie about him and the Me Too. Yes. <laughs> yes. We won't talk about that. No, none of that goes on here. We're sitting on opposite sides of the desk. In more ways than one. <laughs> Former Conservative Cabinet Minister Andrew Mitchell says we will be bonkers to scrap the high-speed rail link from London to the north. He says that having spent £7 billion on it already, it will be economic illiteracy to derail it. I am very strongly supportive of HS2. You know, these big projects in the UK, we always have a great fight about doing them. But once they're done, then we're very pleased they have been. Look at the Channel Tunnel and the history of that. It was exactly the same. And HS2 is essential. Uh, it wasn't very well sold in the early days because people talked about speed. It's about capacity, capacity on the railway as they stand going up the spine of the United Kingdom uh, are full and we need this uh, not only for transport we need it to have modern infrastructure we need it to connect Britain's great cities we needed to do something about the appalling disparity between wealth and economic growth in the south of our country and in the Midlands and the north but it appears that the cost of the scheme has now spiraled to over 100 billion pounds 
can we possibly justify that amount of money on one railway? Yes, it's the principal railway. It will be the principal way of getting from the south to the north. Uh, of course, the costs have got to be controlled and we need a proper uh, discipline over controlling those expenses, but it must go ahead and we must ensure that it's the whole of it is built. So far, the compulsory purchase uh, of land and property in the London to Birmingham part has been done, but uh, we need to build that and then we need to make sure that we build uh, the rest of it up into the north. Do you think this is a kind of a test for Boris Johnson? Because he said from the moment when he campaigned to be Prime Minister, he wants to invest in big infrastructure projects. Well, it is. And as Prime Minister, he will, of course, make the decision on the basis of the facts of the matter. But I think that he understands the importance of these grand projets. Uh, he's talked about it in the past, and he knows that this is a sort of essential piece of engineering like the Channel Tunnel, upon which our future prosperity depends. So I'm sure that he will want to look very carefully at the costs, he'll want to make sure they're controlled, but I have no doubt that uh, when, when it comes to making up his mind, he will be on the side of the big project upon which Britain's future infrastructure needs and economy depend. There's speculation that, that one of the prime movers against this are, um, are Dominic Cummings, his chief advisor, and that he's determined to kill it off, and that Boris wants to go ahead, but is sort of being buffeted by different voices in number 10. Well, I'm sure there's a debate going on about this, but in the end, you know, advisers advise and prime ministers decide. It has been suggested that you get much better value for money given the Conservatives' commitment to invest in the North if we scale back the London to Birmingham bit and instead invest the money in all sorts of improved local transport links in the north of England? Well, that, that simply doesn't work because the compulsory purchase has already been made from the London to Birmingham section. We spent already more than £7 billion on all of that. So you've already got part of the infrastructure between London and Birmingham. To cancel all of that now, but go ahead with the bit north of Birmingham, would be economic illiteracy. If the government uh, decides to scrap it or scale back dramatically, what kind of message do you think that will send out? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident the government won't do that. But if it did, then it would uh, make Britain the laughing stock. And we'd look chaotic, disorganised. And at the very moment when Brexit is taking place, it would send a terrible message internationally about Britain's performance, abilities and confidence in the future. Well, the French, the French would uh, roar with laughter. They wouldn't be able to believe it. They, after all, have built these brilliant railways in, in France, the TGV. If they saw after we'd spent all this money just on the brink of Brexit, us cancelling this, they would, uh, they would think that the British have gone completely bonkers. <laughs> Uh, I, I love that bit of cod French there, bonkers. <laughs> and earlier on, his talk of grand projet. Yeah, I think he's right though. When the French build these schemes, when they when they built their bit of the Channel Tunnel, they just slapped it down across the countryside. I don't think they bother with sort of planning reviews and appeals. They get on with things on the continent. We do things very differently here in Britain, Simon. And and I think having spent seven billion is no argument for going and wasting another seven billion, which is what they're estimating it will be at this stage and rising. Mm. But before we have a, a longer discussion on that, let's hear the other side of the opinion on this on the Tory side. Fellow Midlands Conservative MP Michael Fabricant's Litchfield constituency is just 10 miles from Andrew Mitchell's Sutton Coldfield seat. But they're a million miles apart on 
on HS2. Fabricant says it's a deeply flawed scheme. He wants a total rethink on HS2. I would say that HS2 is deeply flawed. You know, the original plan was to have a direct line from places like Manchester to Paris or Brussels and deter people from taking a plane more environmentally friendly and all the rest of it and quicker from city centre to city centre the current design of hs2 doesn't do that so for example it arrives in london at euston station which is already too busy and then you have to make your way presumably with all your packages and bags and maybe screaming children too to another railway station to get the train at st pancras down to uh, the Channel Tunnel and beyond. It doesn't link with Heathrow either. The original plan was that it would go into Birmingham New Street Station with an extra couple of platforms excavated. No, they're going to build a brand new railway station disconnected from Birmingham New Street, which is the main interchange. So the problem we have is a very disconnected railway line damaging the environment because it's going through virgin parts of countryside which is not damaged before and of course the biggest thing of all it's so expensive. On the other hand, that the Prime Minister said from the outset he wants to invest in big infrastructure projects. If the first big decision he makes is to scrap the biggest infrastructure project we've had in decades, doesn't that send a, a terrible signal to, to the rest of the world? Nobody will thank the uh, Prime Minister or anybody else for investing in an infrastructure project that doesn't work because HS2 doesn't deliver what it was originally meant to do. And actually, I'm not saying we should scrap it. It needs a total rethink. Okavi, which was commissioned by the government, doesn't provide such a rethink. They were given only three months to come up with proposals, which was not enough time to redesign the route of phase one, which is between London and Birmingham. It needs a completely fresh approach and an approach that makes sense. If they do scale back on the, the initial link from London to Birmingham, what do you think they should do with the money instead? For a start, you might provide a better connectivity between London and Birmingham by using some existing railway lines, or you use a railway line which uh, would be a lot cheaper because it wouldn't need so much tunnelling, one that follows the M40, which was an original proposal and would then connect with HS1. And the money saved, that should be going into the north, providing east-west connectivity, providing better links within cities, the great cities like Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, and so on, and Sheffield, and, and of course, Birmingham, not so far from Litchfield. I mean, Boris Johnson talks a, a big game about um, infrastructure projects. His record's not so good, is it? He came up with Boris Island, a proposed <laughs> airport in the Thames estuary, never built. He's, put, he's suggested uh, we build a road bridge to France, doesn't look likely, a road bridge or a tunnel to Northern Ireland, nothing happening there. Surely, if he calls off... 
a plan that's well advanced to build a new to build a new high speed railway, it'd be ridiculous. Look, one of the things that I have a real problem about with this is it's going to cost such an enormous amount of money. What we always know is that every year it will go over cost and over cost again. Boris has got five years in which he bought the Northern votes and he's got to prove in that year that he's improved their lives, those people who gave him their support. This won't deliver it by then. And I would have thought that that money would be much better off politically going on trying to sort out the social care crisis or on actual direct development in some of the places that actually voted for him. He's not going to have anything to show in five years. And he could just say, he could just kick it into long grass, say, we're looking at all the concerns, we're going to think about it again, we're going to have a big royal commission into it and buy some time. I would not go ahead with it this term. Oh, I, I disagree with that. I, I, I think you, you've got a project that's well underway. It's a huge cost, but that cost is going into mainly British British companies and British jobs. And it, you know, it showed Boris has talked about boosterism and boosting the economy and and showing that this is this is a country with a future. And I think we've got to get on with it. Every single major project like this, there's always doubts about the cost, whether it's a Channel Tunnel. And as someone's only pointed out the other day, that in in um, in the 18th when they built the London Underground, the Prime Minister then, Lord Palmerston, was against it and refused to go to the opening because he thought it would be a waste <laughs> of money. And I think it's the same here. We've got to get on with it. My other big concern, Simon, honestly, is, and this is might seem what you wouldn't expect to hear from someone who voted to leave, is that I am concerned about what the economy is going to be like in the course of the next two, three, four years. Um, we haven't got any deals done. You know, there could be an economic decline. And the last thing we want, if we have that really bumpy road, and I think almost everyone, even the Brexiteers, believe it is going to be bumpy in the first two years, it could be suicide to be, you know, paying for a railway that won't even be finished. My answer to that is bonkers. <laughs> Your French is terrible. <laughs> I prefer it when you sing. Wigan Labour MP Lisa Nandy has come from nowhere to be the surprise contender to succeed Jeremy Corbyn. Former Labour Cabinet Minister Peter Haynes says Nandy is intelligent, authentic and astute, and that if she wins, Boris Johnson will underestimate her at his peril. Lord Haynes says there's another reason Nandy should get the job, because, in his words, she cuts through the crap and goes for the jugular. There's a very honest agenda from Lisa Nandy of pointing out bluntly that Labour's become a party of the metropolitan cities, that we have lost support, including in our heartland areas, so-called heartland areas, de-industrialised, feeling left behind, nobody listening, and some of those towns, including um, in Neath, where the Conservatives surged up to unparalleled uh, levels, and Lisa Nandy gets that. She represents a northwestern town of Wigan, which is in exactly that place. But I also think she represents an authenticity, which would be very difficult for Boris Johnson to cope with. I mean, he's used to all sorts of jibes and uh, poetic <laughs> flourishes and the rest of it. But here you have somebody who is genuinely authentic as a politician, 
who is very astute, very tough on Brexit. She adopted a position I didn't agree with personally, but it was very robust and it was done in a conciliatory way, but a strong way, where she said that she felt she was bound by the 2016 referendum and that she honestly set out her stall in that, but she didn't do it in a sectarian fashion. And do you think she'd be able to cope with the sort of poetic flourishes of Boris Johnson in Prime Minister's Question Time, which, which is a pretty tough experience? I don't think Lisa and Andy will have any trouble dealing with Boris. I think Boris Johnson will find her formidable, not just at the dispatch box in a conventional party, prime minister, opposition leader, sparring match. But actually, she represents Middle Britain, if you like, in a way that he simply doesn't. She represents the heart of, of, of England, Scotland and Wales, Middle Britain, in a way that an old Etonian jouster uh, can't even begin to. Lisa Nandy just is very straightforward, very bright. Uh, Boris Johnson would underestimate her at his peril, but she's also very straightforward and cuts through, if I'm allowed to use this term on your podcast, the crap, and goes for the jugular when she needs to, but also just goes for the common sense response in language uh, and in her whole being that is very uh, down-to-earth and I think um, connects with people in a way that most politicians these days don't. Well, Lisa Nandy hasn't had a chance to go for Boris Johnson's jugular yet, but she went for Piers Morgan's jugular when he interviewed her on the television and he put his forward about Meghan Markle not being the victim of any racism. And let's hear... Lisa Nandy's pretty blunt reply. It's got nothing to do with her skin colour, nothing to do with her gender. It's just they've done stuff that the British public and the media reflect British public opinion most of the time just thought was wrong. Well, if you don't mind me saying, how on earth would you know? As somebody who's never had to deal with ingrained prejudice, you're not in a position to understand people who have. And before we have a discussion about this, Amanda, let's hear the rather different style of Rebecca Long-Bailey addressing a crowd of Labour supporters with a much more old-fashioned a socialist rally cry. It's all right if you're in the right postcode and you came from the right family, but what I'm talking about is real aspiration. It's called socialism, and it's what we believe in. Well, there, there you had the, the kind of the difference between them, in a way. Rebecca Long-Bailey is the continuity Corbyn candidate. Lisa Nandy, a very different voice, very down-to-earth, um, uh, quite blunt, but she's no fan of Jeremy Corbyn. Well, she refused to sit in Jeremy Corbyn's uh, shadow cabinet. And I think that she's come from nowhere, Lisa Nandy. I think she could yet pull a surprise here. I think she's the most impressive of these candidates. Being the most impressive and being the lovely Lisa who's straight talking and all the rest of it, she's very good. Um, but this is not going to be an election which is won by someone who disses Jeremy Corbyn, I'm afraid. It's much more likely to be Rebecca Long-Bailey, who is so shrill and so irritating. You know, it's almost like he's, she's sort of like a... a Dame Edna Everidge, Jeremy Corbyn, with a you know she's there's, just... an, in, there's an interesting morphed <laughs> personality there, 
She is really irritating. And I think one of the things that we've learned, you know, with um, Jo Swinson, I'd almost forgotten her name there, Simon, um, leading the Lib Dems, is irritating women do not succeed. Lisa is not irritating. There's something rather wholesome and good about her. But my advice to her would be, or my hope for her, is that she doesn't get it this time, that she's able to parade her wares. She doesn't make the mistake that William Hague did and ends up against a really popular, really charismatic leader, as William Hague did in um, Tony Blair, who was going to be in for two or three terms. She's much better getting a decent front bench job, developing her skills, um, and then being the leader in waiting. But, you know, I do one of the things I do really like about her is, is that's the first time on the Piers Morgan thing I've actually heard her talking about, um, in any way, talking about being mixed race. And with her, she's her father was Indian, I think. Is, mm. and I love the fact there's no victim about her, and isn't something. But there's something funny about the way she talks. What she has a list, I, th- I think is. Uh, I Men like love it. Lists. I, I like it. I, do yes, you really? I do. Yes, but I actually, you you talk about Joe Swinson. Joe Swinson, the Lib Dem leader. People said the trouble with Joe Swinson was, the more they saw of her, the less they like her. I think Lisa Nandy's the exact opposite. The more they see of her, the more they will like her. Uh, and also, I think, yes, I, I think you refer to her, her dad. Her, da- her dad is Deepak Nandy. He's an Indian-born Marxist academic. Um, he wrote the uh, Race Relations Act for Harold Wilson's 1970s Labour government. He staged sit-ins in a racist pub. And her grandfather was a Liberal MP. So this is someone who comes from a, a rich political background and I I think that's there's an advantage there and it's starting to show the class of the woman. She wears her politics very lightly and easily which I think is part of her charm Uh, but she is inexperienced you know you can't go from the back benches when you're you know she's a a young mum not that it's got anything to do with anything but she's only I think she's only about 39 or 40. Mm. Um, She hasn't if she had been a seasoned politician at that age I'd be saying something different, but she's not experienced enough. And I don't think you can jump from the back benches to the dispatch box. Boris will eat her alive. He will work out how to do it without looking as though he's being sexist. There'll be no calm down, dear comments. He will get it right. She will look she'll look childlike against Boris, I'm afraid. Don't do it yet. Bide your time. I disagree. I, 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 th- I think. I Jeez, think. We don't I, agree I, I on th- something for a change. I think she'll be a real, a really difficult for Boris Johnson to handle. But what I like most is, her, is, is what her dad said about her. That the Tories are going to brand her as some left-wing lunatic, no doubt. Her dad said the only disagreement you had with her, she was too right-wing. <laughs> I think we should start calling her lovely lisping Lisa. Try and say that quickly after a few glasses of prosecco. I only drink champagne. <gasps> Okay, Simon, what's your topical tune for this week? My topical tune is Two Trains by A Little Feet, one of my favourite rock anthems of all time. Move over, Rolling Stones. Little Feet is the best rock band of all time. Chosen two trains? Well, of course. One of the trains is the Tory Andrew Mitchell, who wants HS2. The other train is the Tory Michael Fabricant, who doesn't. But as the brilliant vocalist Lowell George sings in the song, one train's me 
and the other's a friend of mine, and hopefully Michael and Andrew will be friends at the end of it. Mm, I hope so. Sam, I've never even heard of that band. Good. I feel better <laughs> for that. I thought it was supposed to be topical, which meant that people had actually heard of them. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for more political chat. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platell. Goodbye. Goodbye.